Well, friends, we're beginning today a series of messages on uh, something we call union with Christ. The fact that in some mysterious way, we are united with Jesus Christ. What a great way to speak about our salvation, isn't it? That though Jesus Christ is physically, bodily in heaven as our Lord, he has somehow mysteriously united himself with all of us who trust and believe in him. Where do we find that concept? Well, of course, in the Bible. But specifically, it is in the Apostle Paul in his New Testament letters who really hammers this salvation point home for us. Paul talks about union with Christ in three ways, in fact, being with Christ, being in Christ, and Christ being in us. And those will be the three things we explore in this series beginning today as we look at being with Christ. That first one, with Christ, is a two-part message, and the other two are one part each. Now, when you think about it, union with Christ ties in so well with one part of our vision, right? The third part, we have reaching out with the gospel, renewing our community, and growing closer to Jesus Christ. So this series, Union with Christ, will really connect with that third part, growing closer to Jesus Christ. So, all right then, union with Christ. What is all that about? If you could turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, we're going to read a little bit more than it says in the bulletin. Romans 6, verses 3 through 10. Romans 6, 3 through 10. And here we will get a large dose of being with Christ. Page 1607. Large dose of being with Christ. And kids, I want you to count the number of times you hear the word with in this passage as we read it or as you, as, as you hear it or as you read it, especially when the word is uh, included with it is with him or Christ, with Christ comes right after it. So Romans 6 verses 3 through 10. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So kids, how many times did you hear the word with? Shout it out. How many? Six. Anybody else? Seven. There were seven times because one of them was just sort of a throwaway word, the with was. But the other six were the ones we are talking about right now, okay? So, beloved in Christ, a Michigan, Michigan State football game. If you could go to the next slide. I haven't heard about one of those in a week, right? A Michigan, Michigan State football game can help us understand the reformed view of baptism. Do I have your attention yet? It's going to take a while to get there, 
This, uh, as I, I worshiped elsewhere last Sunday morning, and the pastor gave a disclaimer at the beginning of the message. He said, this sermon is long, and it's technical. This sermon is long, and it's technical, okay? Just so you know, but I think you'll stay with it. It's, it's, it's a good one, too, I think. But, <laughs> it, it, but by the end of the message, I trust you will see how this can be, how these things all go together. And by the way, what? I thought the message was about union with Christ. You gave a big, long talk about that. We're talking about baptism and football games now. We'll get there, all right? Baptism. Tiny Charlie Jean Vanderlaan was baptized today, and baptism is all about union with Christ, how we are buried and raised with Christ in his death and resurrection through baptism. So what we're exploring today is really the when of union with Christ. We're jumping right to the when in this sermon. Union with Christ happens, we Reformed Christians believe, at our baptisms. We get united with Christ at our baptisms. Now, what do we mean by that? Because that needs some explanation. And to explain it best, we'll first explain the way other groups of Christians understand it. And then we'll explain the way this group of Christians understands it right here. The Christian Reform group or the group that holds to the Reform traditions, uh, the teachings about this. So you're going to hear a slight difference among the various groups or denominations in Christendom. We'll hear about the Catholic view of baptism and union with Christ, the Baptist view of baptism and union with Christ, and our Reformed view of baptism and union with Christ. Now, we don't bring out the differences to start arguments with our Christian brothers and sisters. We bring out the differences because we are Reformed people, and this is what we believe in our denomination, in our tradition, and other traditions. They differ with each other and us. We think we're right. They think they're right. That's okay. So off we go. When were we united with Christ? When did we begin to participate with Christ in his death and resurrection? The answer is union with Christ occurs for us at the moment of our baptism, at that font right there. That's the starting point for our union with Christ. All these different groups say that that is the case, but they each say it a little bit differently. A Catholic would mean this by saying it, and this is from a handbook of Catholic faith, all right? Our union with Christ begins in the sacrament of baptism. At baptism, an indelible mark is given to the individual. She is plunged in the living stream, cleansed by that running water. She is absolved from original sin as well as her actual sins. Sanctifying grace is infused into her, and from that point on, she participates in the life of grace of the incarnate Son of God. There you have it. For the Catholic, dying and rising with Christ, union with Christ, begins at baptism, and it's based on, listen carefully, something happening inside the person's soul, often an infant, right? Classic Catholic view begins at baptism based on what's happening in the infant's soul. A Baptist, on the other hand, would hear what I just said and immediately think, boy, now, that sounds like that preacher thinks baptism saves that person for the rest of her life. Because, well, isn't that what the Catholic view sounds like? Absolved from original sin, as well as actual sins, infused with sanctifying grace. Sounds like the Catholic view seems to stress that if you're baptized, you're home free for the rest of your life. So Baptists would hear me say the Catholic view 
that our union with Christ occurs at the moment we're baptized, and they would think, no, that's not right. So here's what Baptists would say about it. And here's why they don't baptize infants either. For Baptists and other denominations, too, that are like them, when the Apostle Paul talks about union with Christ, he's talking about something related to the gospel message. And if it's the gospel, you've got to have faith to receive or accept the gospel message. Union with Christ is about faith. Faith in Jesus and in what he has done. Actual, no holds barred faith. When Baptists read a verse like Romans 6, 4, we were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into, into death. When Baptists read that, when Paul puts baptism and union with Christ together, being buried and raised with Jesus, there's no way that baptism can be referring to an infant baptism. It's got to be a believer's baptism, someone who has a faith. In other words, a Baptist must accept through faith the gospel truth of union with Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus, before any baptism would take place. Because baptism for a Baptist always and only testifies to the faith that has already brought about a clean heart in the person. So no way can an infant be baptized. How could she? she can, can she show that she has a faith commitment to Christ? No, of course not. Can, can she stand up and talk about her faith commitment to Christ? Of course not. Can she even understand what it means to have a faith commitment in Christ? Of course not. Not an infant. So baptism is reserved for those who can show by saying it that they have accepted the gospel message of union with Christ. And when that faith happens inside the person's heart, they stand up, they tell of their faith, and they are baptized. Baptism then is a dramatic testimony, a symbol of their faith. But look closely again, the significance of baptism for a Baptist is very important, is again found inside the person. It relates baptism to what has happened inside that person. They have put their faith in Jesus and what he's done at the cross and resurrection. So Catholic view, baptism cleans this little baby's heart forever. Baptist view, baptism points to the fact that through their faith, this believing person's heart is now clean. Either one, even though they're different, they're the same in one way. They both hinge on a subjective experience. What's happening or happened inside my little infant heart or inside my adult heart that is now filled with faith. Either view pins the significance of baptism on the inside, on the soul, on the interior life of the Christian. Told you this sermon was technical, huh? But now let's move on to the Reformed view. Our view. The, the Reformed view says that the Apostle Paul's understanding of baptism locates its significance not inside the individual being baptized, not in that small place, the individual's heart or soul. Reformed folks say that Paul locates the significance of baptism way beyond what happens within us to what happened to Christ and what he did at the cross and at the resurrection. That's where we locate the significance of baptism. Why do we say this? Because we believe that at the cross, Jesus Christ brought into existence an entirely new world order, a new creation, a new situation. Christ beat 
sin to death on the cross, defeated death, took on the old creation, the old world order that includes Satan and all his demons, was totally victorious over all of it, so that sin cannot possibly spiritually kill anyone who is united to Christ, for the old powers are undone. Colossians 2.15, you know that verse. Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. In that new world order, one at the cross is precisely where we say Paul locates the significance of our baptism. In that objective place, not a subjective place like the heart or soul. The cross and resurrection creates a new situation in time. And baptism, even the baptism of our tiniest infants, introduces or initiates them into that new situation. A situation that only the body of Christ, the church, recognizes and, and tries to live in, in submission to her head, Jesus Christ. That's the significance of baptism for Reformed folks. Not subjectively in what goes on in the individual's heart or the infant's heart, but in what that infant has objectively been initiated into. Baptism introduces infants into that new situation begun with Christ at the cross and resurrection so that we, in effect, have died and risen with Christ. And it is God who puts us there in that place. Now, how does baptism show that? Well, in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2, Paul is talking there about, I won't have you look it up, but Paul is talking there about the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea. The waters are separated. You know the story. He's talking about the exodus from Egypt, 10th plague, death of the firstborn. All the Israelite babies are saved. The angel passes over them. Then the people exit Egypt. It's the greatest salvation event in the Old Testament, that great redemptive event, and it ties together beautifully union with Christ and baptism. Verse 1, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. Now listen to this. They were all baptized into who? Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What's Paul getting at? Three parts there. God is saving Israel, making them a new community. And Paul says, you know what? Crossing the Red Sea was their baptism into that new community. And Paul says, you know what? Moses happened to be the mediator of that new community. God mediated this salvation act through Moses, his representative. So they were baptized into Moses. They were initiated, introduced to God's saving plan, mediated by Moses. And by stepping into the Red Sea, the Israelites accepted their liberation from bondage under Egypt. And they affirmed their entrance into a new national destiny or community of their very own, created for them by God. They died to Egypt with all its evil power. And they came alive to God as their covenantal loving king. And they did this under the leadership of Moses, the mediator. They died and rose again with Moses. They were baptized, as Paul says, into Moses, going down into the waters of the Red Sea and then up out of them. And those baptismal waters sealed and signified them as God's new community. But it didn't stop there. 
God told them, it's not just your generation, Israel, that this has happened to. It's every succeeding generation. Makes no difference when you live. You will still, you still said that you were baptized into Moses, even though you didn't literally come up out of Egypt with him. Why do you think the Jews still celebrate the Passover? The youngest child asks on Passover night, why is this night any different from all the other nights? And the response, according to Exodus chapter 13, verse 14, was commanded by God to be with a mighty hand. The Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And every generation repeats it as the generation before did. If you are a living member of the community created by the Exodus, you are automatically a part of that Exodus even though you weren't there. Every new generation, every new baby born was a continuation of God's community by sharing in what God did through Moses. You thought of yourself as though you yourself had been freed from Egypt years before. So you see the parallel? Listen, at the cross, God defeated the old spiritual powers that enslaved all people. And by defeating that old order, God brought about a new situation with a new community, the church. And at baptism, God introduces or initiates people, including infants, into that new community. All this takes place around Jesus Christ, God's mediator servant. We, in a sense, were with Christ at the cross. Just like in the Old Testament, it was with Moses at the Red Sea. Pretty clever, isn't it? Now, what are we saying here? We are baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. We are baptized into the church, the new community where Christ's redemptive salvation action is believed and it's celebrated and it's experienced and where the effects of his saving acts are known and realized and where the reconciling action of Christ is carried on by people ministering to each other and the world. It's a Hebrew Jewish way of looking at it. It's also an Apostle Paul way of looking at it. It's a Reformed way of looking at it. And it's not that hard to understand, really. When we talk about the Revolutionary War, we say that we defeated the British. In a mysterious way, we fought the war. We fought the fight. No, we weren't physically there at Valley Forge, Bunker Hill, or Yorktown. But the effects, the benefits, the new nation that resulted, we're a part of it. So we truthfully say we were with the forces that fought the British. We were with those who dumped the tea into Boston Harbor. We do the same with sports. What did the maize and blue wearing teams fans from last week's game say after Michigan pulver, I mean beat Michigan State? They gloated, right? Hey, we won. What do you mean you won? Yeah, we won. You didn't play in the game. You just watched. You're just a fan. But that's what they say. We won. Friends, that's exactly the way Reformed folks think about baptism. Dying and rising with Christ. Union with Christ. It's not about what's going on inside the little baby. It's about the little baby being brought into the community Christ created. It's about her having the same history as her parents and as their parents before them. All the way to the cross, the same history as Christ. And so we can say that at baptism and really for, for any child of those who believe it is when they are born or even conceived 
then, already then, they are united with Christ. They are with Christ in his death and resurrection. Already then, because they are baptized into this community of faith who believes in Jesus and what he has done at the cross. They, even before they're aware of it, have become participants in the effects of Christ's death and resurrection. How do we know? Because the church is the supreme beneficiary of Christ's death and resurrection. And that's where these little infants find themselves, in the church. What a gracious God. Now, at this point, a Baptist may well raise their hand to object and say, well, wait a minute, a baptism like that, with so much meaning for an infant, makes them coming to have actual faith in Jesus some, someday, it makes it absolutely irrelevant. And the Reformed Christian says in response, no, certainly not. A baptism like that makes faith in Jesus absolutely necessary. Baptism says, as Christian Reformed people understand it, that God initiates us into the new order of things. And our baptisms, as we get older and, and understand where we are, summon us to affirm what God has already affirmed. That we are persons who died and rose with Christ. Baptism says, look where you are. Look what God has done for you. Look where God has put you. Look what a head start you have. Look what God has promised for you. And there's going to come a time, listen, when what God has done and affirmed for you in this community has to be affirmed by that person, him or herself. Of course, true faith is still necessary. But that doesn't mean there is no union with Christ for that infant or that young child. So in a preliminary community, communitarian sort of way, Charlie Jean Vanderlaan most definitely is united with Christ because she's been, by the grace of God, initiated into, introduced into by baptism, God's new community, the church. So, so what? We think different than they do, etc., etc. How do we close this then? We tackled the Michigan-Michigan State teaching moment. No pun intended there. So what else is there? Well, for some of us, listen carefully. This reminder of our baptism in this message and as we saw it, this reminder of our baptism should say to us, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Affirm what God has affirmed. What's stopping you from telling the body of Christ about your faith, that you have it, that you have it abundantly, that God did make good on his promise and you received his gift of faith. So profess it. Make your profession of faith. For some of us, we need to hear that. For others of us, a reminder of our baptism may say to us, you feel doubts right now. You feel doubts right now, don't you? Your faith is failing, it seems. You're, you're struggling to walk in the light. Well, just a minute. God placed you in a new community. God at your baptism called you his own. Be encouraged. Take heart. Take hold of his promises. Trust him to get you through this spiritually dry time in your life. Trust him to build your faith again. Be encouraged. God placed you in this community. For still others, a reminder of our baptism may say to us, you were baptized into this new community. Why are you running away? What are you afraid of? Why are you living this way? 
You're in a new community. You're not a slave to the old power of sin anymore. Get your life together. Let God clean you up. That's why you're here, for God to clean you up. But, but maybe you're not really here at all. Eh, I just happened to show up because there's a baptism today. It's such a fantastic start. But look how you're finishing. You're sort of walking away from the community, from the fellowship, from the preaching, from the teaching, from everything that means so much. Don't you see that you're starting to wither? You're, you're not growing closer to Jesus, but you're drifting further from him. Don't you see you need to be nourished by placing your faith in him? Why aren't you worshiping? Why aren't you studying God's word? Why aren't you spending time in prayer? Why? Maybe this is you today. And thankfully, God brought you here today. It's not just a fluke that you happen to be here, but it's by divine appointment. God's grace brought you here for this very day to hear a word of challenge and encouragement. Thank God. Because here is where you should be. Here is what you should hear now. Jesus Christ died for you. If you're walking away from him, away from the incredible significance of your baptism and never affirm what God has affirmed in you through Christ, then there will come a day when only a memory of this community remains. Only a distant memory of what salvation Jesus accomplished at the cross. What a salvation. And it will be harder and harder to come back. For you'll be in the thick of the terrible process of spiritually withering and dying. That will finally end with unspeakable punishment in hell. You need to hear that. But you need to hear this too. God loves you so much and sent Jesus Christ to die for you, for all of us. And if you give yourself to him every last part and tell him you love him back and want to live for him, and if you say, I'm sorry for my sins and I want to be united to you, Jesus, by faith, I want to affirm what you affirmed in my baptism so many years ago, he will secure your union with Christ for good as he personally grafts you into Christ by true faith. You see, dear friends, there comes a time when the faith of this new community, the church, well, it doesn't stand in for you any longer like it does for an infant like Charlie or a young child. There comes a time of accountability when God and this community expect you to affirm what God affirmed about you in your baptism, that you are buried and raised with Christ. Affirm that and nothing will ever be the same. You will find joy and peace in believing and you'll grow closer to Jesus and in love for the God who has united you with himself in Christ. Your life will never be the same. Not here or when God welcomes you into his new creation when he comes again. So here's the question. Here's the question. Do you want in? Do you want in on that? Or do you want out? Amen. Well, let's stand together now and affirm what each of our baptisms calls us to affirm, to testify, to profess, we say the words of the Apostles' Creed together. Let's begin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, 
creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you have united us with Christ in his death and resurrection, in his dying and rising. Thank you that baptism introduces us to that new community, the church, who are united with Christ. And thank you for what that means to us. It truly does draw us closer to Jesus. Continue to do that for us every single day, for everyone here, wherever we are in our walk of faith. And thank you for showing us the beauty of your salvation on this day, the beauty of your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, let us all say, amen.